First of all, I will say that huffing gasoline was the most exciting, crazy, weird and best drug I'd ever done in my life. So far, I'm only 21. I've done ecstasy. It was wonderful. I did acid. It didn't work at all, no matter who I bought it from or how much I took. I never saw anything or tripped. It just felt like I was on a sailboat rocking back and forth. I've done weed, crystal meth, cocaine, and even crack. I did some shit that was supposed to put me into a so-called rabbit hole, but it never happened. Guess that was some fake shit. Demerol is good, only in the drip form. First experience. I am hanging with my female friend at our friend's house. Our two guy friends had left for a while, then came back. When they came back, they were laughing all over us, reeking of gasoline. We were like, what in the hell? We said, what the hell is wrong with you? And why the hell do you smell like gas? They started laughing, saying, ha, we've been huffing gas, man. <laughs> we thought that was retarded. We had never heard of getting high off of gasoline. Didn't even know that we could. They end up taking us down the road and doing it also, even though we thought it was superficial. We get to this huge parked 18-wheeler with a rig on it. We're on our way out in the boondocks, aka the country. And it's nighttime with nothing but one deserted road and woods all around us. The two guys tell us to huff off of this gas tank opening on the big rig, so we do. When I did it, all of a sudden, my body starts feeling all tingly and warm inside. After a couple of minutes, the two guys started saying that there were aliens watching them and talking to them from in the woods nearby. My friend and I laughed and thought it was funny. Then they dared me and her to take 10 hits off of it in a row, or huffs, so I did. After doing 10 in a row, I blacked out. In my head, I had died, and all of a sudden, I became a comma in a biblical sentence. I was going to remain as this as a punishment from God for the rest of eternity. Pretty crazy, huh? Then I started coming back to consciousness. I saw a black and white image in front of me of some old baseball player getting ready to swing his bat. Then I came to more and realized I was sitting on the ground with my arms wrapped around this person's leg. But it was just one of the guys bending over huffing off the gas tank. Experience 2 This is hard to put into words, but... Me and the same girlfriend were huffing. We were at this house that was vacant. We had the gas can sitting on the porch. We were leaning over, taking turns huffing it. At one point, my friend was leaning over, huffing off the gas can. I was really fucked up watching her. When she came up, she all of a sudden looked like a blow-up doll. It's like she was deflated, leaning over huffing, then inflated as she leaned or straightened upright. And when she was all the way blown up, this is so damn funny. All this birthday cake splattered on me. And all of a sudden, it was my birthday, and her and her sister, who was not there, had planned a surprise birthday party for me. All the trees and shrubs around us had these little lights at the base of them, and I was screaming for joy. Oh my god, how did you all do this? This is so cool. And my friend is all messed up too. Doesn't even know what I'm talking about. All she does is just look at me and laugh doesn't say anything, which keeps me going. Then some man comes out of his house from across the street and is like, excuse me, are you guys okay? And me and my friends start stumbling off and saying, yeah, we're fine. And he asked something about us drinking, I think, but 
but I can't remember for sure. We had been screaming and yelling all excited over God knows what. Experience 3. This one is really hard to explain. Me and the same friend are huffing on the same porch at the same vacant house at night again. A ways into it, the gas turns into this cartoon-looking thing. I wish I could draw a picture because I can't describe it. It was almost like the gas can nozzle had turned into this dark red trumpet that it was talking to me out of. It started hopping around in the spot where it was sitting on the porch. It was as if I had been living this fairy tale story, and all of a sudden it brought me out of it to tell me what I was doing wrong in the story. My life. It was trying to tell me something very important. Then my friend turned into an angel and had been secretly watching me throughout my life and also sat with me on the porch to tell me what I was doing wrong in my life. I can't remember what the hell was said, but it freaked me out. Experience 4. This was around the beginning of me doing this also. I was at my house. It was only me and my mom. My dad had his boat parked out by the side of the house. There was a big gas can hooked to the motor. I was out there huffing it. At the time, my mom didn't know I did this. So when she came out there, she didn't quite understand why I was so fucked up. Well, she couldn't stop me. I was young and dumb. I was doing this in front of my mom thinking she wouldn't stop me. I had a piece of candy in my mouth when I started. Eventually when I got really messed up, she came outside and started saying something to me. I started yelling back. I was so messed up that I didn't realize there was a piece of candy in my mouth and thought it was my tongue that had came loose. It didn't disturb me very much. I just grabbed it out of my mouth and threw it on the ground. That was weird. Experience 5 I was outside by the boat again. This time, no one was at home but me. I was huffing and all of a sudden, the telephone pole at the corner end of my yard started talking to me. It didn't have a mouth. It was talking to me telepathically. It was placing thoughts into the subconscious part of my brain that I wouldn't know about or wouldn't come about until later on in life. Crazy shit. And the tree right in front of me, a crepe myrtle, was telling the telephone pole, no mouth but telepathically, that that is not allowed. You're not allowed to do that to someone. Some ancient rule or something. Anyways, I was looking down the street. I started hearing these noises of cars riding over a metal bridge. Then I started hearing these sounds of a man saying, A silver told across the bridge. And what was happening is the street adjacent to mine had turned into a toll bridge. I had to pay a silver dollar to cross the bridge. I could hear people putting the coin in the slot and driving over it. I could even see the top bridge rails. I think that's what it was. Weird. Experience 6 I had a gas can and was chilling in my backyard. My backyard has a lot of trees and shrubbery by the way. No one was home. I was lying out in the sun in my bathing suit. I was underneath the shade of a small sweet gum maple tree. I think that's the name. Huffing. I had the cordless phone out there too. So every once in a while, while I was huffing, I would accidentally hit the on button on the phone with my leg without realizing it. The operator would come on and instead of it saying, We're sorry, if you'd like to make a call, I would hear it as, O.R. Lee, then something something. Anyways, at one point, this frog hopped in front of me from behind me. Yes, it was a real toad. But in my head, I believed that I was some kind of witch and that the frog had come from me. 
I had created this frog and set it out into the wild. Experience 7 I was huffing gas with this girl I had met down the road that was into it too. It was a sunny day. We were huffing it out of a gas can. This was a gas can that had a tube that I could pull out of it. Well, I didn't know that this one was like that. So we were huffing, and I got pretty fucked up, again as usual, and I didn't realize it, but I began sucking the gasoline up through the tube thing and taking gulps of the gasoline. The girl I was with started slapping me on the back saying, what the hell are you doing? You're drinking that shit? And she took the gas can from me. I looked at her all funny, she had told me, and was like, why'd you take my flower juice? And a few moments later, I came to and realized what I had done. I even remember drinking it, even though I didn't know what I was drinking at the time. There were these little white flowers all around us at the time, which would explain the flower juice thing. So we stopped. I don't know how much I had ingested, but it was at least two gulps. I don't know how I didn't die. I wonder how much I would have to drink to die. But in the next couple of hours, each time I burped, I tasted that damn gas. It made me want to throw up, which I probably should have. So one of our friends picked us up and they stopped by a gas station. I decided to get some cream soda, maybe put something in my stomach that would take away the taste when I burped. Well, wrong idea. It did nothing but make me burp more and made it taste even worse. End of it all. What caused me to pretty much stop doing this is the sounds that I started hearing that weren't really there. I began to hear this low buzzing noise. It sounded like it was coming from the power lines above my head. I know it sounds crazy. Then what actually scared me out of doing it is this bamming noise. I kept hearing this noise in the distance. I couldn't place where it was coming from exactly. It sounded as if someone had a sledgehammer and was pounding on the side of a building that had aluminum siding. It didn't bother me when it first started, but the more I huffed, it got louder and sounded more closer, even though I couldn't pinpoint where it was. Finally, it dawned on me one day when I was kind of sober, and it almost made me piss my pants. There is a saying, you will hear me knocking at your door, something like that. Well, that really got me to quit. I really believe that after a year and a half of huffing gasoline, God was knocking at my door. He was warning me. The sound of the knocking, which as months passed, became a gradually louder bamming sound. I couldn't have fun when I was huffing. The sound was so loud, it overtook all the hallucinations I would have normally. It came to the point where I really began to believe something was coming after me. I had no idea what it was, but it was creepy. I'd start huffing, and there it was, again, even louder and closer sounding this time. Whatever it was, it was going to get me, and I consciously knew this, so I quit. After a month or two, I realized that what it was, what I truly believe, was death knocking at my door, getting closer and closer. What happened to me about three months after I'd completely stopped huffing gas and doing any kind of drug was unexpected. I first began to not sleep. I felt like I didn't even need to. I started to become delusional, exactly like a schizophrenic. I believe people I knew very well were actually undercover detectives watching every move I made. I can't go into all the details, 
But mainly I thought I was psychic, and knew these things, and all the colors meant something, and so forth. I ended up going in the hospital. I got better after a week of being in there, and got out. Didn't do any kind of drugs or anything. Yet I became even worse, and not only becoming even more delusional, but began hallucinating. Seeing and hearing things that weren't really there. So I went into the hospital again. I was then committed from that hospital to an institute for about six months. I did get better after the first month or two of being in there. I got out and have been fine ever since in that aspect. I even did other drugs and stuff, did not huff anything, and was fine. It's almost unexplained by the psychiatrist I've been to. It's the fact that I had quit huffing and did not do any other drug for about three months. Then all of a sudden, my brain decided to turn on me. I finally quit doing drugs and just stuck to drinking. It's been like that now for a few years. Now, I am a manic depressive. I will pretty much have to be on antidepressants for the rest of my life. And antidepressants don't even really do shit. They barely motivate me to get up out of bed and live life. I also have an anger problem now that has caused me to go to jail a few times and pay hefty fines. I can't handle stress like a normal person. My stress turns into anxiety and anxiety into anxiety attacks. For the past two years, I've been having chest pains in this one spot on the left side of my chest that I'm gonna probably need to get checked out when I eventually get a job and insurance again. I get ridiculously scared sometimes when I'm by myself. I get these brief feelings that someone is in the house with me. Therefore, I cannot live by myself. If my boyfriend isn't here one night, I have to get a friend or something to stay with me. Then I'm okay. My psychiatrist has said that the main cause of my problems is from the gasoline chemicals that I put into my body and brain. That screwed up the chemicals inside me, more than likely, for life. I am writing about my experiences with meth for two reasons. Firstly, my husband and I were able to remain healthier than most by doing relatively easy things with homeopathic remedies and over-the-counter meds that I'd like to relay to others who are using heavily. And secondly, I feel that perhaps if I honestly relate the grotesque and extremely frightening things that happen to us, I might be able to save those who have just begun the long farewell of the hunger strike. We first smoked meth on New Year's Eve because we heard it was great for sex. I had to work the next day, so I saved some to smoke before work in the morning. When I got home, another gram was waiting for me, and I smoked every day but one until we finally quit six weeks ago, March 20th. For three weeks, we smoked meth with little consequence. Then my skin became fragile, and in addition to breaking out, started to swell. I was really worried because I was constantly thirsty and drinking water, but I rarely urinated. I was afraid I was fucking up my kidneys and I'd be too sick to keep using. So I started taking one Pamprin, over the counter for PMS, every other day because it contained a diuretic and a leave for swelling as needed. That worked for a week or so, then I had to take two Pamprin every day, then three, until I realized my skin had become clay-like for lack of a better word, as if there were a layer of Play-Doh beneath it. I also noticed a powdery black substance, like dirt, was coating my skin, no matter how often I washed it away. 
We used a lot of mineral oil for massage during sex, or before sex, or after sex. Anyway, one day, I realized this black crap was literally pouring out of my husband's skin from every pore, and not only his, but mine as well. We guessed that this was some toxin from the speed needing to be eliminated from the body, and figured out that it could be massaged out with oil, or was released when we were hot and sweaty. We started using the sauna at our fitness center in the apartment complex where we live to try and rid our bodies of the toxins so we wouldn't have to quit doing meth. But despite how often and long we sat in the steam, we couldn't get rid of the swelling or the black shit in our skin. Then my kidneys started hurting, and his, two days later. I had lost 20 pounds in two months, and my husband had lost 30. And we'd read somewhere that rapid weight loss can cause kidney failure. Or maybe we just thought it made sense that if you lost that much fat, it had to leave the body somehow, and our kidneys just couldn't handle it. I was so afraid of what I was doing to myself, but I still didn't want to quit, and I was too afraid to go to a doctor to find out how bad it really was. At some point during a sauna, I noticed a whitish or grayish substance, similar to vegetable shortening, was coming from my skin in massive amounts, tablespoons of it at a time, looking like Play-Doh through a garlic press. I lost 8 pounds in an hour in the sauna, of retained fluid and the shortening crap that built up under my skin, which I can only guess was the fat I was burning. We maintained like this, sitting in the steam three or four times a day for an hour, swelling in between badly enough to cause bruising where the pressure built up. I slept every three or four days for an hour or so, and woke feeling rested. I would get weak and shaky and realize I'd eaten nothing in 48 hours. I had to keep a chart and check off at least one meal a day, plus a multivitamin, plus a protein bar. My scalp would swell up, and I'd run my fingers across it, which would release enough fluid to make my hair wet. I kept having this feeling of waking up as if I'd been asleep or unconscious, only I'd either be at work, standing up, or driving. It was like I checked out for a few minutes and was totally confused upon checking back in about where I was or what I was doing or how long I'd been gone. It was like my brain rebooted and I had to figure out what the fuck was going on really fast because I seemed to be in the middle of helping a customer and he is looking at me strangely and oh, there's a credit card receipt printing out so I better hand it to him and pretend that I was just waiting for it the whole time and God, I hope I didn't just stop talking in the middle of a sentence or say something that didn't make any sense because I've done that before but only when I was at home alone with my husband. Just say thank you and have a nice day and we did not want to quit. So we took our saunas and our vitamins and used Preparation H for swelling and hydrocortisone for what we guessed was a heat rash. We took oral steroids, prednisone, which I'd been prescribed for asthmatic bronchitis but never took to try and reduce the swelling. We massaged the shortening from each other's skin and forgot to eat and sleep. We fell asleep with burning cigarettes and with the meth pipe in our hands. I spilled boiling meth on my husband and he, who had never been violent before in five years, hit me for the first time and left bruises on my arm. He hit me again because he couldn't find his keys and left a bruise on my face. He could never find his keys. I started hiding little stashes of shards and forgot where they were and he hit me when I couldn't find the dope. I was an hour late for work every day. My husband wrecked the truck three times and we didn't want to quit. 
I forgot to feed my son one day. All we ever did anymore was fight and fuck. Thank God my son was in daycare because they fed him twice a day. He spent the rest of the time watching TV in the living room while we locked ourselves in the bedroom and he'd have to knock to use the bathroom, which we'd yell at him for doing. I'd send him to school in the same clothes three days in a row. I didn't care anymore. No one made sure my son went to bed and he started acting up at school because he'd been up till 2am, which we yelled at him for doing. I fell asleep during sex, or worse, fell sideways into a dream state while semi-awake and I'd babble incoherently while we were fucking, but goddamn it felt good. Exquisite. I said it felt exquisite. Everything was either the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. No in between existed anymore. I had delusions, especially when I was hot. I would take the hottest showers I could stand for hours trying to clean the cysts I now had under my scalp full of the gritty black shit. And it was difficult because I couldn't use soap anymore. It got under my skin and burned and bubbled in my eyes, nose, and throat for hours afterward. I couldn't drink soda either, same reason. I had delusions that my dealer was poisoning our dope because he wanted it all for himself, which in comparison to my other delusions makes sense. I had delusions that the black shit in my skin was some new form of dope, only producible by the human body, and my dealer was selling us tainted dope so my body would make it because he was going to come harvest the shit from me and turn me into a slave he would keep locked up and just feed meth in order to obtain this new drug. I figured my dealer was doing this to lots of people and that he'd keep me enslaved until I died from the meth. I knew it was killing me. I didn't care. And we didn't want to quit. We were banned from the sauna at our apartment complex because no one else could use it. Our sweat smelled so strongly of ammonia, it burned the eyes. It was caustic, and it burned our skin too. We had to cope with just taking really hot showers, which didn't work as well. I fell asleep in the hot shower one night and woke with blood pounding in my ears and too weak to stand up. The fatty shortening crap that built up under my skin seemed to melt enough to be excreted through my pores with little heat, but with a lot of heat, it seemed to melt enough for it to be all released because I was sitting in a pool of it. I gathered the strength to turn on cool water and then realized I'd made a terrible mistake when all of this crap that was still in my body had collected because of gravity in my pelvic region and belly suddenly congealed. It hurt really bad and I really had to pee, but I couldn't because a clot of it had congealed in my urethra. I eventually pushed it out and saw it in the toilet. Did I promise you grotesque? We aren't through yet. For days afterward, the shit came out of my eyes, ears, nose, and throat. It came out of my vagina. It was in my urine and feces. I swallowed it down continually and it made me gag. I spit constantly because it was in my mouth. I wiped it from my eyes and it ran from my nose. I still have no idea what it was exactly, only a guess that it had something to do with the almost 50 pounds total I had lost. I knew it wasn't a hallucination because I cleaned it out of the tub three weeks ago and six weeks after quitting, it's still coming out of my skin. Less, much less, but still there. And I still didn't want to quit. I got lucky. 
My dealer got popped, and I crashed before I could hook up through anyone else. I slept for three days straight, and then dealt with the worst of the withdrawals with coke, which I would not recommend because it works about as well as caffeine, which is to say, not very well. My husband and I haven't done any drugs at all for four weeks, and things are slowly going back to normal. I find that Benadryl works well for the withdrawals. I just take as directed for a few days and sleep through it. My son is happy, he has his mother back, and his daddy plays with him again. I'm happy because I'm not so afraid anymore, not afraid of my husband, or of dying painfully in the near future. We are happy because we've nearly paid all the bills we neglected and have cable TV again. We are happy because we resemble the normal, healthy family we once were. But I still want it. I can't sleep tonight because I want it. I wrote this in all honesty, mostly to help myself, to remind myself why I don't want it. And I still want it. This report is just one story of several similar, but distinct dives into some of the deepest pits of mental anguish I have experienced while withdrawing from chronic binge drinking. A bit of background, I am a male, 29 years old, and am well seasoned with psychedelics and started my experimenting from the age of 16, including LSD, mushrooms, MDMA, DMT, 2CB, and others and I've had my share of difficult experiences. When I try to explain to people that some of the most tormenting and nightmarish headspaces have come from withdrawing from alcohol, people generally have a hard time comprehending how that can be possible. I became a chronic drinker and what some may call an alcoholic at around the age of 20 after a difficult and traumatic life event had left me with a then undiagnosed anxiety disorder so debilitating that I had lost nearly all of my ability to function socially to the point that leaving my home was enough to trigger a panic attack and this started to affect my work life, friend life, family life, etc. I should add that I was one of the vibrant, though a tad naive, happy-go-lucky types that had a lot of friends and was almost like a big kid, totally unaware of some of the dark and covert dangers that lurk in the world. So I was always benignly trusting of people. I was an open target for sociopaths to prey on. I was to find out. So after certain events left me a shell of my former self, and long before I was to get proper diagnosis for an anxiety disorder and PTSD, I was in a confused and damaged, debilitated state. And though I never really liked drinking prior to this era in my life, maybe once or twice a month at a party, and was much more keen on smoking cannabis, I remember one sunny afternoon, having a few drinks with a close friend, and it was almost like magic. Those few cans of beer took away my anxiety and I felt like my old self again. It was truly like a miracle for me and this was the beginning of my dependence on alcohol. Naturally, over a pretty quick amount of time, a few beers daily turned into a few shots of harder stuff during the day, turned into a bottle a day, turned into multiple bottles at all times of the day and night over the course of about two years. Though in the beginning, I was social again and my friends were happy that I was back and attending get-togethers again and able to work and just function in general. Slowly but inevitably, the alcohol started to take center stage in my life 
and I was to again sever my relationships with friends, family, and work by not only doing some incredibly stupid and hurtful things that I wouldn't even be aware of in my drunken state, but also putting my drinking before any other aspect of my life, even my closest best friends who love me the most. Now, I was a recluse again for a whole other reason. So, I'm in my mid-twenties, now jobless, and still living with my parents. I was a chronic alcoholic who was living to drink and drinking to live, much more than any sane person should drink. A doctor would have been horrified. Fast forward a bit, I knew I had a problem with drinking and that I needed help. All in all, I would go on to have four stints in rehab from the age of 25 to 29, and up until today, I am currently, knock on wood, still sober. But the nature of alcoholism and addiction in general is that if left unchecked, will undoubtedly creep back into life. The story of my nightmare withdrawal experience begins, funny enough, right off the heels of my second stint of rehab. I had just completed rehab, and naive as I was, I thought I now had the knowledge to be able to handle my alcohol and drink like normal people again, like I used to once upon a time in my life. So the very afternoon I returned home, I went straight to the liquor store, picked up a Mickey of my favorite brand of vodka, and decided to celebrate. It, of course, only took a matter of weeks before my controlled drinking, once again, became unmanageable, and I was back to my usual all-day, all-night drinking, alone in my parents' basement, style of life. Some binges would go on for three or four days straight, no food in these times, no showering, brushing my teeth. I wasn't even leaving the house to pick up more booze, but just having it delivered to the door, as this was the early days of the lockdowns up here in Canada. I would be truly isolated and was physically and psychologically dependent on booze. There were times during these periods where at the end of my binges, I was too physically ill to even drink more, but much too ill to eat, save for a few granola bars and protein drinks and the occasional fruit, and I also couldn't sleep. Those were the times that I would experience the slow and excruciating descents into the hell and madness of alcohol withdrawal psychosis. I truly wouldn't wish those states on my worst enemy. It would always begin something like this. I had just come off another long bender of drinking for several days and nights with little food and sleep till I couldn't drink anymore. Then, I would feel it start to come on and I knew what I was about to go through. It would start with an increasing sense of paranoia. Every noise that a house usually makes in the middle of the night was amplified tenfold. Every creak or crack in the walls would make me jump, and my mind would tell me that it was someone trying to break into the house, or police, or other shady agents were stalking me and had been following me for years, and were finally coming into the house to get me. When I would make panicked phone calls to family or the crisis line, noises of audio crackling in the phone were the agents tapping the calls to listen in on my conversations. I would stay up and just sit in front of the security camera monitors at my parents' house, just waiting in horror to see if anybody, or indeed anything, was walking around the house or trying to get in. By this point, I would have turned on every single light in the house and I triple checked to make sure every door and window in the house was locked because what might have hid in the darkness terrified me, and I would just sit in idle silence, listening, waiting for the inevitable terror to finally meet whatever was coming to get me. 
Then, as the mental paranoia would progress further, I would begin to go into a psychotic panic state where I felt that whatever terror I was trying to evade was now inside of my head, reading my thoughts, and I felt like I could not escape and not even my very body was safe. And I would squeeze my head with my hands and pace around in circles, hyperventilating, just to try to get some solace, some escape from this mounting stress and panic. Eventually, I would escape into my room, pull the blanket over my head, and try to sleep this state off. And when I would close my eyes is when the real hell would begin. This is when I would start to have delirious visions, waking nightmares, and see entire film reels begin to play in front of my eyes. Visuals that would even, dare I say it, match those of certain psychedelics in a dark room, closed eye setting, only of a much darker, much more gruesome nature. Again, I say they were like film rail projections, very flashy and shuddery and grainy in nature, but specific in their color tone and content. The alcohol withdrawal visuals always have a specific mood and feeling associated with them for me. The feeling of impending doom mixed with somehow feeling like I was in hell, doomed for eternity, and that these projections were coming from a dark psychic alien entity that was communicating them to me. A sense of futuristic intelligent nightmare mixed with apocalyptic scenes of eternal death and destruction. I would usually see film reels of faces that looked like they were speaking, then would suddenly be split in half or mutilated like they had been attacked by a machete or mauled by a rabid animal or a reel of somebody walking unnaturally fast, then transforming into a black shadow entity that would just stand and stare at me in an odd posture. Some images were like watching grainy film of the piles of dead bodies like the Holocaust. Some were of destroyed cities and screaming families crying in place or running for their lives. I saw images of bodies being cut open in the most horrific way and people dancing with the innards of said body dogs attacking and tearing people up, and also people cutting open a tied up hanging dog. There was also scenes of a sexual nature on display, people having orgies and odd BDSM types of sex, but nobody seemed to be enjoying themselves. It was like these people were sex machines, if that makes any sense. That was the feeling of the images, sex, death, hell, and bloody despair. Every gruesome manner of death, despair, and depravity you could imagine was in those mental projections. But the oddest things I would see were the more vivid, more brightly colored images of giant insects. I'm talking right up close, looking at them in the face type images. But these were not ordinary insects. They were humanoid insect figures and seemed quite intelligent and even telepathic. Don't ask me how I figured that. That's just the vibe I would get. And I would feel that these futuristic alien insect beings were ones beaming these mental images and feelings into my psyche. But it wouldn't even stop there. Another common theme in these delirium states were the reptilians. Similar to the insectoids, the reptilians were also physically invading my head. But instead of beaming in odd images or just simply looking inside of my head with cold calculation, the reptilians were overtly malevolent in the vibe they gave off. They would appear as half-human, half-reptile entities and felt like they were attacking me somehow. Their nature seemed to be more brutish, more unforgiving, and much meaner. It was like getting attacked by a creature on an old-school Doom game. I would hear their groaning and grunts in my head, like a predator honing its focus on me. 
These reptilian hallucinations would even follow me into the open eye world, where when the mental torment of keeping my eyes closed under the blanket would become too much, and I would open them and throw the blanket off of me. And I would look into my brightly lit room and see almost translucent but still flashy in nature hallucinations of the reptilians standing around in my bed. One time, I remember looking towards my window and seeing a snake-like humanoid entity float into my room and quickly disappear. But more so than seeing them, I would feel their presence around me and it was terrifying. I would feel several large beings around me feeding into my fear, then simultaneously consuming and feeding off of that fear in an amplifying feedback loop. Variations of this condition would last through the worst of the withdrawals, and unfortunately, the only way to stop it was to drink more alcohol. During these periods, I would stay up all night until the sun would come up and I could hear the rest of my family walking around the house, and only then did I start to feel some semblance of safety start to creep back in. This is usually when I would, full of shame, but also stricken with panic, ask and plead with my mother or father to let me have some of the alcohol they had put away for me, for when I would get into these states, just enough to get me somewhat level-headed again and out of this delirious state. Reluctantly and painfully, they would oblige, seeing what alcohol addiction had done to their son and the mental pain of my current suffering in that moment. Episodes like that happened many times over a span of many years. I would go on to attend rehab two more times in following years, with my longest stretch of sobriety being about eight months. I am currently three months sober as of writing this account, and I'm picking up all of the pieces of my shattered life and working towards rebuilding it. It's not easy, and again, I wouldn't wish what I have gone through on my worst enemy. Not just the delirious states, but the damage overall that alcohol has done to every aspect of my life and self-esteem. Please, if you think you have a problem with alcohol, seek help. You're not alone, and it truly does feel better on the other side. It is tough work, and it's okay to slip up many times like I have, but don't give up on yourself. You can make it through the dark night and you don't have to look back. And for anybody who thinks alcohol is a benign drug compared to some others just because it is legal and culturally accepted, remember to enjoy with caution. It really is easier than most people think to slip into dependence and full-on addiction to the substance. I'm by no means trying to say don't drink and don't have a good time. I'm just saying to be aware and use common sense and discretion when choosing to indulge and to treat alcohol with respect, for it can be a very powerful and cunning substance that can consume your entire life. What I did in the winter of 2005 in a small town is something I will never do again. I regret ever having done it, and yet, it was perhaps the most interesting time of my life. For a time, I was the essence of delirium. For about a year, I had been smoking pot on a daily basis, and in that time had tried the usual psychoactives, shrooms, acid, salvia, Hawaiian baby woodrose, and my favorite, ecstasy. So one night, my friend, let's call him Ryan, and I had been planning to get some rolls for about a month now and had found someone to hook us up 
But the day before I got the phone call, no parent, or in this case, stoner, ever wants to get, my dealer got tickets to a concert at the last minute and was out of state. We tried to call everyone we had ever met to find a hookup, but to no avail. So we started walking down the street to our local restaurant, and along the way, I noticed a white trumpet-shaped flower growing in some bushes on the side of the road. Ryan and I both identified it as Datura, and decided to snap a pot off of one. We went to the restaurant, and I decided to eat 10 seeds. Since we didn't know what it would do to us, I decided to take them, and Ryan would be my sitter. We finished our food, and walked home. As soon as we got back to my house, I started feeling very paranoid. We went into the living room and started watching the movie Groundhog Day, and as we watched, I kept forgetting that Ryan was there and would become scared and leave the room every time I looked at him. I went into the kitchen and started pouring water into a glass, but started to notice things about my kitchen that I hadn't noticed before. There were spider webs in the corner of the ceiling, and the floor was split in the center. I screamed and ran into the living room where Ryan had finished watching the movie and asked if he could smoke in here. I said he could and curled up under some covers on my couch. About three minutes later I took the covers off of my face and noticed Ryan pulling a cigarette out of his pocket and asking if I had a lighter. I picked one off of the floor sitting next to me and handed it to him. However, when I asked for it back, he said he had thrown it at me. I didn't think anything of it knowing that I could find it later, but soon, Ryan's cigarette fell out of his hand. I told Ryan that he dropped it on his lap and he freaked out. He began rolling on the ground and before he could roll over the cigarette, it disappeared. I suddenly remembered I had taken Datura and asked Ryan if he had. He said he had eaten 12 seeds without telling me. I realized we had shared an illusion and got extremely frightened. I ran up my stairs, which seemed to go on forever, and every time I tried to get to the top step, it would slide out from under me. I finally gave up, but managed to somehow slide to the top of the stairs. I got up and ran into my bedroom and fell down on the floor. I slowly got up, and then suddenly I realized that I was in my room with my old friend from high school. Let's call him Bobby. I started reminiscing with him about the crazy times we had and I started to roll a joint. I started to light it up and Bobby said we should go out onto the roof to smoke it. We went out my window and sat on the roof and started hitting what had now become a bong. Then, as he passed it to me, it suddenly dropped off the roof and I leaned into the gutter to try to catch it before I managed to completely fall off. Luckily, I blacked out. I was woken up three hours later by police sirens as the police pulled into the front of my yard. I stumbled into the window and ran out of my room to find Ryan. I ran down the stairs and saw him passed out in the bathroom, in the bathtub, with his wrists bleeding. I smashed the mirror in the bathroom with my fist for some reason and ran out the back door and into the cornfield in the back of my yard. I kept running through the stalks until I got to the deepest, darkest spot in the forest of corn. I knelt down to hide from the police, but I kept hearing dogs barking and could see distant stalks moving. I started crying into my hands, and when I removed them, Ryan was there with me. He told me to run with him to the distant caves, and I ran with him, but we were in a jungle now. This shit was weird. 
I woke up in my backyard about two hours later, underneath a wheelbarrow. I went inside and found Ryan not to be there, and I was still tripping. I realized that my life was like Groundhog Day and that I could kill myself and come back the next day. So I ran my head into the wall three times and lost consciousness. I awoke again in an alley outside of the restaurant. How did I get here? The next thing I remember is walking home and seeing some very frightening faces along the sides of the road. I walked into a parking lot next to my house and leaned up against an SUV and passed out. The next thing I remember, I was in the SUV flying down the highway. I had gotten into the car somehow and started it and began seeing vampires flying around the car. I slammed on the brakes and ran into the woods nearby, pursued by the same vampires and clawed at a tree until my fingers bled and sat there shivering, hallucinating, until sleep reclaimed me. I woke up and began walking back to the highway. It took about 15 minutes to get there, but it didn't seem like I had run that far into it. I got into the SUV and drove around the highways for an hour and a half before finding my way back home. When I got home, Ryan was not there. I was far too worried to search for him, so I slept for 10 hours to escape the terrible feeling Datura was giving me. The next day I felt like shit and called around to find out if anyone knew where Ryan was. It turns out that Ryan was in the hospital with his spine cracked after having been found by my neighbor. Apparently, the cops had never showed up. Indecently, there was no cornfield in my backyard. My gutter was hanging off of my roof and my house was a mess. The owners of the SUV reported the car stolen and even though I returned it and explained, they still insisted on pressing charges and now I am going on trial for car theft. So basically, Datura kind of fucked my life up, and I never plan on doing it again. A few years ago, a friend of mine gave me a camel snooze to try. I had tried dip before, once or twice, which gave me such a buzz that I puked. So I was nervous, but he told me that they weren't nearly as strong. I tried one, and it gave me a slight buzz that wasn't over the top. A few months later, I was working on a construction site, and all of the workers were dipping, and I was just standing around as an inspector, so I decided to try the snooze again, just for something to do. I did the snooze for about three months, and quit without any problems whatsoever. A couple years later, about a year ago, I decided to use it again because I was getting busy at work and again, just something to do. I am a design engineer, desk job. I did the snooze for about eight months and got to the point where I was practically chaining them back to back all day long, especially at work. About 15 to 20 pouches a day or a little over a can a day. Over the past July 4th weekend, nine weeks ago, I drank fairly heavily and wasn't feeling great so I decided to stop using the snooze. I had quit no problem before, and all I knew about nicotine withdrawal was that you can get a bad headache for a few days or whatever. Plus the snooze gave me such a little buzz, I figured there wasn't much nicotine in them. Boy, was I wrong. After a couple days of not being able to sleep at all, there was a tingly feeling over my entire body, anxiety, including a panic attack that lasted all night, and a very bad lightheaded feeling. 
and went to the emergency room. At this point, I thought I had a major hangover or something. They gave me some fluids and I felt a little better, but I knew that wasn't the problem because I had been hydrating a lot. After another sleepless night and symptoms increasing, I looked up symptoms of nicotine withdrawal after thinking that it was possibly from quitting the snooze. I had every symptom there was. I had already missed three days of work, so I decided to try some gum and a patch, although I was reluctant because I didn't want to backtrack from any withdrawal I had already gone through. Really wish I knew what I know now. I started using 8mg of gum per day, 4 2mg pieces, and a 7mg patch. I was able to go to work one day that week and slept a total of 5 hours for the entire week. The first week was absolutely insane. I actually felt fairly good for a couple days after using the gum. I quit the patch after 2 days because I felt like it was giving me anxiety at night. But the relief was short, and week two consisted of very bad lightheadedness and vertigo, with some anxiety here and there. Week two, I was on vacation, so at least I wasn't having to deal with work. During week two, I took motion sickness medicine so I could eat while being so dizzy. Sleeping wasn't as bad this week, but I would wake up after about four hours needing gum. Week three, I had to return to work and this is when the anxiety really started to kick in. The dizziness was also still really bad, and I faked work all week. I would hide in a conference room twice a day for about an hour and call my mom just for some distraction. Midweek, I got an appointment with a doctor, and he gave me some clonopin for the anxiety. I tried it a few times, but was reluctant due to the horror stories I had researched regarding withdrawing from it. I was still only sleeping for about four or five hours a night, Week 4 had similar symptoms to week 3. During week 4, I got in touch with a nicotine withdrawal counselor. That's when I found out the amount of nicotine I was getting from the snooze was comparable to 4 packs of cigarettes per day. I had no idea. He told me that the snooze has a very delayed absorption into your body because it is a dry oral tobacco, which is why it doesn't give you a strong buzz, but more of a drawn out, constant one. He told me that if I would have come to him before quitting, he would have had me starting with two 21mg patches, plus gum. At this point, I am terrified because I had no idea that I was doing that much and that nicotine withdrawal could be this bad. I was traumatized. During week four, I started to notice symptoms significantly increasing in the afternoon, which the counselor said was understandable since when I was on the snooze, the afternoon was when my body had the most nicotine. In the afternoons, my whole body seems to speed up, which increases all the symptoms. It's my body craving the nicotine. It's like an extreme version of the shakes. Dizziness increases, anxiety increases, vision gets blurry, and concentration goes to crap. Still sleeping only 4 or 5 hours a night during week 4. At the start of week 5, I was having such bad anxiety that I went to the ER again. They gave me some Visterol and Ativan to try, which I did. I decided I was going to take a Visterol, 25 milligrams in the morning, one milligram of Ativan in the afternoon, and one milligram of Ativan at night before bed. Although still dizzy, I felt pretty good that week, obviously with the meds. I could actually handle work and was starting to eat normal. I hadn't been eating much cause anxiety makes me feel sick. 
I also started to sleep my normal 8 hours. Sometimes I am up and down for the last couple. The doctor also gave me some Welbutrin to try, but I took it for 2 days over that next weekend, and the amphetamine boost it gave me increased the anxiety, so I stopped taking it. In week 6, my body started to get used to the Ativan, because I started to not feel great in the mornings when I had no Ativan in me. So I cut out the Visterol and started taking 0.5 milligrams of Ativan at night and in the morning and 1 milligram in the afternoon. That week, the afternoon rush and dizziness was minimal most days. The whole process has had a lot of ups and downs. I have really good days sometimes and really bad days other times. Week 7, I'm getting worried about getting hooked on the Ativan, so I decide to start tapering off. I took all three doses to 0.5 milligrams. I had full-blown anxiety attacks on the second and third day, in the morning after waking up, after dropping the Ativan. The dizziness also increased. Week 8, I dropped the Ativan another 0.5 milligrams, 0.5 in the morning, and 0.5 in the early afternoon. I had one bad afternoon rush the day after dropping the Ativan. I went three days like this, but was extremely dizzy every morning, and decided that it was probably because I was doing a whole milligram by noon every day and then having nothing until I woke up. I needed something to keep a little in me more consistently, so I added back in 0.25 milligrams at night. This did the trick. At this point, I also decided to slow down the taper to 0.25 milligrams per week. Week 9, currently, I have maintained the same Ativan schedule because I feel like I've been messing with it too much. I will drop to 0.25 milligrams this coming weekend. Although it's slow as heck, my symptoms do seem to be getting better. My dizziness definitely seems to be going away. I get fairly dizzy if I go for a long walk and when I first wake up. But during the day, it is minimal and sometimes I don't even notice it. The afternoon rush has seemed to weaken since I can withstand it more. Although, sometimes I do have a bad day. Currently, the afternoon rush consists of a tense, agitated feeling and some blurred vision. The whole process has been absolute hell. I had no idea how much nicotine I was doing, and I had no idea nicotine withdrawal can be this crazy. These blogs are helpful to know that others have had these issues because most people I talk to just don't understand. I've never had an issue with anxiety at all. In fact, I slept the entire night before defending my master's thesis, but nicotine withdrawal sucks. Anxiety just pops out of nowhere, makes your heart pound, and freaks you out, which adds to it. Dizziness is terrifying, cause it's your brain. The ups and downs with the whole process never gives you a feeling of any consistency. The only consistent thing is that I always feel better at night. I want so bad to be back to my normal self. I haven't had a drink with caffeine or alcohol since this all started. I haven't been able to go out normally with my friends. Although, the last few weeks, I've at least been able to go see movies and do more relaxing things. Looks like I'm in it for the long haul though, and it could be a couple more months before I'm feeling normal. I'm sure it will be many months before I can do any physical activity without getting dizzy. I now have a much better understanding for the nicotine addiction, and I now sympathize with people going through withdrawal or who have anxiety issues. For those starting the withdrawal process, who have it really bad like me, you're going to feel hopeless at points, but it will get better. It's biology. It has to.
If LSD or another psychedelic has left you dangled, confused, afraid, and tormented, breathe. In time, the trauma will unravel. You have found a difficult path, but you are okay. Living will still have beauty. You are not alone. I have seen total eclipse without hope of day. It took years, but I am happy with a loving partner and a healthy sane life. I am a better, more aware, more caring and happier person than I would have been without these experiences. I would not change the choices I have made. It started with two hits of blue micro dot. The 16 hours or more of tripping was only the beginning. It took years for me to stitch myself back together. I ate one and a half hits of LSD and I insufflated another half. Then I smoked about 0.2 grams of hash. Already I felt uneasy that something wasn't right. It didn't take long before nothing was right. It is unexplainable, beyond a thought, feeling, or sense. A door opened. I was flooded with a new seeing. I was unprepared and resisted. This is when I met with insanity. I won't go into the details of my complex and confused mind. It still gives me shivers. I'll just say that without a doubt that I was now insane and going to stay that way for the rest of my life. Metaphors grew out of nothing. A string of strange coincidences and some strong acid made me believe that I was suddenly in on some syndicate that operated on a psychic level, all through metaphors and feelings. I was being welcomed into the circle. Insanity was a network. I didn't want to be a part of it, but it was too late. Then I realized I wasn't insane, but dead. I had overdosed on LSD. I now know this is impossible, and I was riding in limbo, needing to choose heaven or hell. My cousin, who I was close to all my life, was cool with smoking cigarettes, weed, and was high on the same LSD. Having a great time with it, I might add, became to me a manifestation of Satan. My older brother, who was as clean as they come and totally naive to drugs, became to me a manifestation of Jesus. Of course, I followed him around all night, bugging the shit out of him to take me to heaven. This scared the ever-living shit out of him. At one point, I pissed my pants on purpose to try and convince myself I was still alive. But the trip had roots, and that was not enough to snap me out of it. I was willing to do anything he suggested. However, with his inexperience, he would tell me to do things like go to sleep, go lay down in my room with the lights off, there, my body would feel as though it was disappearing, that I was slipping into hell. I wish now that I would have let go and experienced my inner workings. I leapt out of bed and did anything I could think of to get to heaven. I even tried calling my parents who were away on vacation. I went through my peak doing these random and frantic things as I was certain I was going to fall into hell at any moment. That night was long. As my cousin and I came down from our trips, he ultimately talked me into finally going to bed and getting some sleep. I don't recall if I actually ever slept. He left the next afternoon. What is most formative and important is the week and then years afterward, a journey few people will ever make in this life. The first week I spent afraid, confused, unable to eat or sleep, alone in a true dementia. 
I'd watch television, and it would be spewing messages directly to me. Everything was a metaphor for heaven or hell, or a message from the syndicate. I began to believe this blanket of metaphor was a secret code that the world spoke, and I was getting hip to it. Going down to strawberry fields, still, nothing really made sense. It was all a jumble. One night that week, I went to a friend's house and believed every sentence they said to one another was linked to my dementia. Another close friend, who definitely knew I was in trouble, said that he believed life was a test and that everything had a reasonable and rational answer. I don't know if that's absolutely true, but it snapped me into my first taste of reality in over a week. I decided it was time to drive home to my parents' house to reconcile my mind. I entered the house not really knowing what to say or do. I began telling them about this experience I had, telling them I had achieved a higher state of consciousness, etc. They looked frightened and confused. I realized that so was I. Suddenly, I broke down, began telling them about my use of LSD, marijuana, and other drugs, how I was out of my mind, paranoid, and afraid. Just the facts. My mother cried and my father listened stone silent. That night was the most relieving and uplifting of my life. Likely the most difficult for my parents. All they could do was listen and hug me. This, ladies and gentlemen, was way out of their league. I knew it. I knew I was teaching them. What mattered was that I was in a place where I was loved and accepted. I was 16 years old and I slept on the floor at the foot of their bed. I released all my secrets. If there is a sacred confession, this was it. I was cleansed by fire. I felt as though I rose from ashes, and I did. That night, I was utterly humbled and humiliated by existence. I was a child again, but also evolved. The next week, I didn't leave my parents' house. I helped them with various jobs and house projects. If I found spare time, I'd find something to fill it. It was like every day I died and reawoke. Every day I teetered between heaven and hell. Small decisions like, which juice shall I buy and drink, were wrapped in meaning and metaphor that extended beyond daily life, seemingly deciding my eternal fate. Just under everything was a mechanism, a test, or a plot, unraveling. I saw powers that we are all capable of, the power to live or to die any moment. I began seeing through the facades of judgment and morality. My learned belief systems eroded and were replaced with experience. I'd raise my concerns with a close friend who had similar experiences. He would console me, encourage me to believe what was in front of me, work with what I knew and be wise, not to open up these thoughts to the wrong people as most would just label me insane and become afraid of me. He was, of course, totally right and a good friend for his patience and protection. For a period of time, I lived my life shadowing my true thoughts and feelings about daily situations. I made some stunning life decisions. I traveled overseas alone to search my soul and mind. I shed all my addictions, tobacco, TV, caffeine, sex, all drugs, and even meat and processed foods. This was all between the ages of 16 and 23. It took me over a year till I could even talk to my cousin again. 
many more till I could truly trust him. I wish that databases such as Arrowid, the Shroomery, etc. existed when I went through this journey. Their help could have turned this vicious, horrific, and difficult experience into something meaningful and useful from the beginning. Much of my delusions weren't so at all. This life, this existence, is a blanket of meaning and metaphor. Everything we see, touch, and hear is a creation of our own perceptions. This can drive you mad, or make you powerful, exalted, and blissful. I am 27 as I write this. The lessons and impressions left by the LSD trip, the full week of dementia, and the years of reevaluating evolved me to a state of consciousness few ever reach. I am at peace with myself and my existence. I don't want to die, but I am virtually unafraid of it. I see through the bullshit of war, violence, and destruction. I seek and participate in peace. I believe we all wish to. LSD helped push these to the front of my consciousness. I had to go through hell, but these moments I now live are truly awake and free. To this day, I wonder if I am actually alive, or if I am alone. A drifting consciousness lingering in an endless construct of my own imagination. It doesn't matter really. I found peace. Before I begin, I want everyone to know you're about to hear a story about me being broken by LSD and never being the same again. This features some really ugly and messed up thinking. If you're sensitive to suicidal thoughts brought on by existential thinking, please use discretion when hearing the story. It was my 24th birthday, and me and my two good friends from Colorado, we'll call them H&M, were planning on taking an LSD trip together out in nature to celebrate my birthday. I've taken psychedelics about six times by this point, LSD two times at low doses, and psilocybin mushrooms four times at normal doses, two to three grams, along with hundreds of microdoses of both over a couple of years. Both my friends had taken mushrooms two times, and I was the one that introduced them to it and guided them both of those times. This trip, in a sense, was a way for them to return the favor. They've told me that when I guided them through it, it changed their lives, which I strongly believe because both times they ended up crying tears of joy and coming to profound realizations in my arms. They had originally planned on providing me with LSD from their dealer, but he only had two tabs left, and I was in Utah at the time and had to source some LSD about three days before I was supposed to fly out to Colorado. I pulled my resources together, and I found an acquaintance that was able to sell me five gel tabs. The dealer claimed to have dripped the LSD onto each tab individually and warned me that this was strong stuff. I of course didn't really believe the typical, this is strong stuff line. Big mistake. I was more interested in making sure it was real LSD. I tested them both, which showed that it indeed was the real stuff. I hid the tabs in my Rubik's Cube to get past the TSA, which set a very stressful tone for the events that were about to occur. We got an early start on the day and hiked out to a place called Walker Ranch. At about 7 in the morning, we reached our secluded spot by the river, cheered our tabs, and placed them under our tongues. At about 45 minutes in, 
I started to notice I was already higher than I have ever been with psychedelics. My fingers were elongating and contracting, and as the tree swayed in the breeze, I noticed the fractal distortions were moving along with them, almost as if the trees themselves were distorted, instead of the trees moving through a distorted space. When I noticed these two things, this knocked down the first domino in a long chain leading to lasting insanity. The visuals got wackier and wackier for the next hour. The boulders seemed to behave more like marshmallows covered in squiggly black and purple lines that had intricate morphing patterns. As my mind started to unwind from the sheer amount of data it was exposed to, the focus of the trip suddenly went all psychological. I started to question things that normally aren't healthy to question. I started to question whether my friends were really my friends. I questioned whether I'd been mentally disabled my whole life and everyone around me was just acting to make me feel better. I started to wonder if my memories were real or if I'd been stuck on that beach and had been hallucinating my whole life just while sitting there. When the peak hit, the LSD got me to the point I started to seriously ponder if the body I was in was a sick fucked up joke. Simply a way for consciousness to maximize hurting me by letting me experience love and kindness only to watch it slowly rot, age, and die. Almost like being given the most wonderful gift as a child only to be raped and slowly killed afterward by an insane hateful god. When I was being assaulted by these really dark thoughts, I looked up at the sky and all the beauty of the visuals had gone. The colors were dim and the shapes and outlines of objects looked sharper like knives and were more menacing. I could hear the space around me laughing at me, almost like it's been waiting for me to figure out the horrible truth of life. Physically, I'd been pacing back and forth along the bank of the river, trying my best to keep it together. I wasn't saying or doing much out of the ordinary, but as soon as that thought train hit me, something inside me broke, and it broke deeply. I put my hands to my head and collapsed to the ground, screaming like I was possessed. I screamed and thrashed on the ground, kicking up dirt and leaves. My friends rushed over to try and help me. They were completely shocked and terrified at how quickly I went from quiet to psychotic. I don't remember this, but they asked me what was wrong, and I just screamed louder. This lasted for about a half an hour. My vocal cords were wrecked from screaming, and I had bit my tongue and was spitting up blood by the end of it. The hike down the trail and the drive off the mountain were very emotionally flat. I was in a traumatized daze and my friends were a little scared after what happened. They said the tabs they took were duds, which given the circumstances was ideal because I needed to be around sober people for the remainder of the trip. I apologized to my friends for putting them through that. They said it was all good and that they were glad to, at the very least, be there for me. The real issues started happening after this trip. Growing up as a kid and my whole life leading up to this point, I was always quick to smile and had a generally positive and upbeat attitude about life. I was never anxious about anything. I now have a hard time feeling joy and don't really smile when I'm alone. I've consistently had one to two panic attacks a month since this happened in August of 2020. Each panic attack my heart is pounding and I can't catch a breath for about a minute. My friends and family have asked me a few times if I've been okay lately because they say I've been acting a little differently. I'm fine, I say, but I know I got fucked up on the inside from this experience. 
I have a few of the classical symptoms of PTSD. I have recurrent memories of what happened, reliving the traumatic event as if it were happening again in flashbacks. I've even had upsetting dreams or nightmares about it. I avoid drinking alcohol and smoking weed because it shifts my mind into an altered non-sober state and it reminds me of this event. This is clearly some mental illness that I was unaware of that was brought up to the surface by a strong dose of psychedelics. Experiences like mine are rare and are unlikely to happen to you. All I ask is that you tread carefully and maybe really try to get to know yourself before taking a psychedelic. I'm getting help from a therapist to help deprogram this awful way of looking at life from my head and it is starting to help. Please, be careful.